birth. Boy, you just made delivering the Word of God a whole lot easier because you just prepared the people's heart to receive the Word of God. I'll mention a little bit about Job in a few minutes, but Job had a lot of questions. Sometimes I have a lot of questions. And I know sometimes you have a lot of questions. But I know this. We sing about an empty tomb. I know this. My Savior, my Redeemer, He lives. And I can face tomorrow because of that. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning, but you can face it because there's an empty tomb and there's a risen Savior. Job could only imagine that. Job could only speak to what he knew. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and one day I will see Him in my flesh. And one day we will see Him in our flesh. So glad you're here with us this morning. Glad you've come to worship with us. And the presence of God has certainly been in this place. I, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. I know many of you will be watching uh, the game. I don't necessarily have a dog in this fight. Uh, our praise and worship leader does. I'm sure he'll be proudly show you his Philadelphia Eagles socks if you'd like to see them. You know, he showed everybody else. He might as well show you all too. I told him they would be nicer if they had a pretty blue star on them, but they, they don't. So, But um, I like the pregame show because I like the backstory. I like the stories of the players. You know, we see them as famous athletes, great athletes, but there's backstories. And I thank God, I know there's been a lot of politics that's surrounded the NFL. Quite frankly, I didn't watch it for a while. I got tired of some of it. But I thank God that within the NFL, just like within your workplace or your home or wherever God has set you as an ambassador, there's representatives of salt and light within the NFL. And I've heard that both quarterbacks are that. I don't know. You know, we don't know them personally. But I thank God that within a place like that, there's a place that represents the kingdom of God in the National Football League. And I think that's great. And, uh, and so I'll be watching this evening, and I'll be watching some of those, those backstories. Next week, next week we will have a, a group here from Karis Bible College. Some of you have, are familiar with them. They've been here before. They come out of Colorado. They're people who've been called into ministry and are attending a college out there. I didn't say young people because many times it's been older folks. There have been some older folks that have started in this. And, and so they will come. They will give a couple testimonies. And one of their students who's called to pulpit ministry will actually minister to us next week. Because, you know, what they do is get to get up and stand in front of a group of people like you all and look around and see how intimidating it can be to look out there and actually preach. So next week, that's, that's what, who will be with us. And uh, so just, just keep that in mind as they come next week. And, and we bless them and give them an opportunity to minister. Have you all noticed how fascinated our society has become with their ancestry? Have you, have you noticed that? Things like Ancestry.com, NC123andMe. Have you noticed that? People have come fascinated with their ancestry. They want to know something about their heritage. And they find out some interesting things. They're even swabbing their mouth with DNA and sending that off. Let me say for the record, I'm with Timmy. I am not sending my DNA to no one. I'm not. Now, you do what you want. Right, Timmy? I'm not doing it. I even saw a story on 60 Minutes where a lady who was involved in that said she wouldn't do it because there's no guarantee where that information lands and where it ends up. But people are doing it. They're interested in it. And I understand it. And as a matter of fact, a, a little short search, and this is in your introduction about midway through, revealed this about what we can learn about our family history. It says a quick search, this is from selecthealth.org, shows that learning your family history can give you a sense of identity, make you more resilient, 
help you connect with others, make you a better human, and help you make better health choices. Now think about that in light of knowing where our ancestry is, knowing our spiritual heritage, knowing where our faith all began. What do we believe and why do we believe it? Think about that as it relates to giving you a sense of identity, making you more resilient, helping you connect with others, make you a better human, and help you make good health choices. So for the next several weeks, I'm going to do a series on the book of Genesis. It's called In the Beginning. And I'm going to look back. We're going to take a real broad look at it. Now, you could preach through the book of Genesis for, for a couple years. There's so much in there. But we'll take a broad look at some of the significant events of the book of Genesis and some of the significant people of the book of Genesis. And this morning, we'll be looking at the creation. We'll be looking at the creation. Now, I'm not going to read Genesis 1 and 2. I did send that out in an email, and I'll be doing that more. Things for you to read. I want you to read it and see what God speaks to you about it. But we'll, the key verse this morning will come from Genesis 1, 1 through 4. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, if you'll open with me to Genesis 1, and we'll read 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I just thank you for the anointing that's been in this place already. Even from the prayer room to the worship to the special song, your presence has been in this place. And I pray that it will continue here, Lord, as we read your word and we see your invisible attributes, God, that is revealed to us and the God that you are in your creation. In Jesus' name. So we're going to look at the creation and we're going to look at the book of Genesis. The book in Genesis was written by Moses along with the other four books of the Bible, first four books of the Bible. It's known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. Well, so what's interesting about the book of Genesis is Moses wrote this book, Genesis, and the events of it occurred some 300 years before Moses was even born. So you're thinking like me, when I read that, I'm like, how in the world did Moses write about something that occurred some 300 years before he was born? How could he write about the creation, the creation of the earth? How could he do that? There's some debate over that, but most believe this. It was by a number of ways. First, that it was by direct revelation. By direct revelation. The book of Genesis was likely written by Moses when he was in the, and he was in the wilderness. He had led the children of Israel out of bondage. And while they uh, were in the wilderness, he, God revealed this book to him, possibly by direct revelation. God spoke to people like that then. You remember the burning bush. They didn't have the word of God like we have. And so God at times would speak directly to people. It's also thought that maybe it was by both oral and possibly written tradition. Much of the Bible that we have is written, obviously the Bible we have is written, but before that it was passed down. Much of what we know was passed down orally before it was written down. And it was even suggested that maybe Adam himself wrote some things. The earliest of humans were intelligent. Or at a minimum that he passed down the creation account, and it survived all the way to the time of Moses. 
Now, if I say that, if you're like me, you're like, that. gosh, that sounds kind of hard to believe. So if you're still questioning that, how could Moses write something? How can we trust the authority of Scripture of Moses and something he wrote some 300 years before he was born? Would you say that if Jesus trusted it and if Jesus stood on its authority, I think we can stand on its authority. And Jesus believed Moses and the writings of Moses. This is what he said to some of the religious leaders of his day when they were debating over him. He said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So Jesus believed in the authority of Scripture. He believed in the authority of, of the writings of Moses. And not only that, as we look at the creation account, the reason he could believe in it and know that it was factual, because he was there. He's always been. We believe in the Trinity. We'll see that in the creation. He was there. So we can trust this scripture, we can trust what God has chosen to reveal to us about the beginning of time. So it starts off in Genesis 1, 1 through 4. It starts off, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, he could have stopped right there. God owes us no explanation for who he is. He's outside of our realm. I cannot really comprehend him. He exists outside of time and space. And so much that we know about God is because He's chosen to reveal it to us, not because we know we can know Him or owes us any explanation. Much of what we and all of what we believe about God we know is by faith. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, said this, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So it takes faith. God is eternal. He has always existed. There's never been a time when he was not. He has no creator. He has no beginning. He has no end. Those things are outside our comprehension. But the psalmist knew it in Psalm 90 and 2 when he wrote, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, your God. Before he created anything, before anything happened, he's always been God and he always will be God. But you know what? I am glad that he has chosen to reveal himself to us. He could have said to Moses, he could have said, write this down, Moses, in the beginning, God, now figure it out. Go on out there and figure it out. But he didn't. He's chosen to reveal himself to us. And the first way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us is in his creation. I had a little fun with this when I was doing this outline. This just came to my mind, so I wrote it down. There is a God, and we're not him. I'm glad I'm not him, and I know you're glad I'm not him, and I know Tammy's glad I'm not him. So this is a great opportunity for every married woman to look at her husband and say, there's a God, and you're not him. I'm not him. I'm glad. But there is a God. And he's revealed himself to us. And we see that he's revealed himself to us in his creation because it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. The word for created is bara, B-A-R-A. It means to create something new by ex nihilo. Ex nihilio. It means out of nothing. Everything that we enjoy, everything we see in the earth, the rain that fell today and the trees and all the things, that the ocean, the stars, all the things that we're saw about, God created that out of nothing. Once again, it takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to understand that. Hebrews 11, again, in the faith chapter, says, By faith, 
We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. When we make something, I got to have something to make something. I'm going to make a sandcastle, I got to have some sand. If I'm going to build a house, I got to have some two-by-fours and some sheetrock and some nails. Not with God. He can make something out of nothing. And that's what he did in his creation. And he used that creation first to reveal himself to us. The psalmist said in 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament. Some translations say the sky above show his handiwork. How many of you here today by show of hands have been somewhere, paused for a minute? You know, the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. We're busy. We're so distracted with our phones and running here and there. Take time to slow down every once in a while and and experience God in his creation. He'll speak to you in his creation. But how many of you have ever seen something, whether it's a starlit night, whether it's a sunset or a sunrise, and just for a minute you just experience God all over this place? He reveals himself to us in his creation. And he does that for a reason. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, said, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we're without excuse. There's just something about that creation that reveals God to us. Paul said it reveals invisible attributes. And that's what I'm going to look at this morning. What invisible attributes does God reveal to us in his creation? Even the Godhead, even the Trinity. We see the Trinity here in the creation. Genesis 1 and 2, it says, The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. One translation in that says that there was chaos. Now, I don't think that's the best translation, because there's not many that give that, that give that. But for purposes of this, I want to use that translation for just a moment because three men were arguing over whose profession was first established on the earth. Mine was, said the surgeon. The Bible says that Eve was made by carving a rib out of Adam. Not at all, said the engineer. An engineering job came before that. In six days, the earth was created out of chaos, and that was an engineer's job. Yes, said the politician, but who do you think created the chaos? (laughs) I think we see what's going on today and we see some chaos. But what we can see from this, from God's creation, is first that he is a God of order. He's a God of order. It says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the deep. Now the question rises up out of that when you read that. if, If everything that God created was good and it was, why the darkness? Why the form? Why the void? Don't know the answer to that. God doesn't tell us everything. Some believe within this is what lies is known as the gap theory. There's those Christians who believe in the creation, but they believe the earth is millions of years old. You may have heard this debate. And then there's young earth Christians, where I tend to fall, that believe that the, that the earth is only 6,000 years old. And within that gap theory, what they say is between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there could have been millions of years, and that's where the earth just lay dark and void. God created it took a break, and then came back later and created everything that was good. One commentator even said it might have been the dwelling place of Satan because guess what? Satan did what? He was in heaven at one time, wasn't he? And he was cast out for his pride. I'll deal with that more when we look at the fall of mankind. 
Jesus himself said, I said, I saw heaven, I mean, I saw uh, Satan fall like lightning. I don't know about that, but I do know, as the scriptures say, that for a while the earth was without form and darkness was over the deep. But it didn't stop there. It said that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I'm here to tell you, church, that when the Spirit of God begins to hover over things that are dark and void, order starts to establish. Good things start to happen. Because he's a good God. And he still comes and, and hovers over people's lives. If you'll put your trust in him today, I don't know what darkness is in your life. I don't know what chaos is in your life. I don't know what void might be in your life. But he will hover over your life. I thought about trying to go out and try to find an illustration about that. But as I thought about that, I thought about the many testimonies we have just in this church right here. In this church right here where people have testified to what God has done in their lives. And I thought how just a couple weeks ago, Miss Rebecca Pearson could come and stood in this pulpit right here. And she gave a testimony of how her life was dark and empty and how it was controlled with alcohol and depression and anxiety and all these things that we like to hide from as Christians. That can't be happening to us, but it happens. But she began to put her trust in Christ and how the Spirit of God began to hover over her life, over her home. And it changed things. There was no longer darkness and void. Are there still struggles in all of our lives? Yes. But the Spirit of God is a God of order, not confusion. Paul even carried that theme into the early church. He said, let everything that happens in the church be in order. Our God is a God of order, not confusion. And when the Spirit of God begins to move, He changes things. And when the Spirit of God began to move over the waters of the deep and that earth began to be formed, it was done with such precision. It's such precision. Our, our, our creation is so intricately made that if one little thing falls apart, the whole thing collapses. The whole thing comes down. I'm going to read something to you. It says, If there were no trees or plants of any kind, we could not live because the plants provide the oxygen we need to breathe. We provide the carbon dioxide the plants need to sustain life. If it were closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If it were further from the sun, we would freeze. If the earth were a few miles smaller in diameter, the density of its atmosphere would be so thin that the earth would not retain enough heat to sustain animal and human life. The earth's waters would freeze to such a depth that all other forms of life would perish. But if the earth were a few miles larger in diameter, the air would become so dense that too much heat would be absorbed, resulting in the death of all living things. Even secular scientists acknowledge this. These extraordinary cosmic coincidences have not escaped secular scientists. There is, for me, powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all, said Paul Davies. No, there's not something going on behind it all. There's someone going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression, design, the impression of design is overwhelming. And, and British cosmologist Edward Harrison doesn't hesitate to draw conclusions from the universe's razor-sharp calibration. Here is cosmological proof of the existence of God, he said flatly. The fine-tuning of the universe provides prima facie evidence of a deistic design. It didn't just happen, folks. God created it. 
and He's revealed Himself in it. And in that, His Spirit still hovers over things that are dark. His Spirit is the one who takes things and puts them in order. Our God revealed in the creation, the first invisible attribute, is that He is indeed a God of order. And He's also a God of power. Do you know how God created all this? He simply spoke it. He simply spoke it and it happened. He simply spoke and the earth with all its elements, majesty and wonder came into existence. Ten times in chapter 1, it says, God said, God said, and it happened. The psalmist knew this in Psalm 33, 8 and 9. He said, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants stand in awe in Him. There's not hardly a time that I stand in awe of the Lord more than sometimes it's in it's revealed of His creation. When I see the majesty of it, it just makes me stop for a moment and stand in awe of who He is. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. In Genesis 1 and 10, God spoke and He formed the earth. Then in Genesis 1, 11 through 25, God spoke and He filled the earth. He filled the earth with the vegetation, with the trees, the sun, the moon, the birds, the fish, and the animals. God spoke it and it happened. I asked Brother Worth to sing this song today because, you know, it was in that power of that creation that God chose to have a conversation with Job. Like I said, Job had a lot of questions. I have questions. But Satan had gone to God and he said, you know what, Job, he, he, you know why Job serves you? Because he's blessed. He's got a lot of money. Life's going great for him. Let me take all his stuff from him and he won't serve you no more. And God said, go ahead. And he did. And Job lost his cattle, his children. He lost everything. And that, that prompted Job to have a lot of questions. And he had advisors that sometimes didn't give him the best advice. But if you want to read, and you can write this on your outline, if you want to read Job 38 through 40 later, you can see that there comes a point where God's listened. He's patient. He's listened. And then God says this to Job. And I, I just love the way he starts this. He says, Job, brace yourself like a man. You've been doing all the talking. I'm about to start talking. And he begins to point Job to the creation and the power of his creation. He said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I measured it out? And he points him to the heavens. Where were you when I told the lightning bolts to come? You can't come any further than this. The sea can't come any further than this. The moon can't come any further than this. Where were you when I created the animal kingdom and I watch over them and I see when the animals give birth? Job, where were you when all those things happened? And I think that prompted Job to say, oh, I'm sorry, God. Because he revealed his power in that. And his creation. And there was power in that. And we know to go on to Job... God goes on to restore Job because he kept his trust in God. And he knew that even in all of that, God was good. So we see in the creation that God is a God of order. We see he's a God of power. We also see that he is a God of goodness. Genesis 1 and 3 said, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the, that the light, that it was good, and God divided the light. From the darkness. I don't think it's any coincidence that the first creation God did was the light. All throughout the scriptures, God Himself is associated with light. I'm gonna read a series of scriptures to you. Krista don't have these, and this is just a small sampling. 
First John 1 and 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Psalm 104, 1 through 2. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Who cover yourself with light as with a garment. Who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. And then we know when we get to the place where we're all headed, the new Jerusalem, there's not going to be a need for the sun and the moon and all of those things because Revelation 21 and 23 says the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine for in it the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. But he did something else. He separated the light from the darkness. And as I studied this, Always after God created the light, he would say, and the light was good. He never proclaimed the darkness good. Now, I have to believe that since God created the light and the dark, that in some way it was good. But I just found it interesting that here in the beginning, we see this separation between the light and the dark. And all throughout Scripture, light is associated with Christ, the Word of God, God's people, and God's blessing. And darkness is associated with Satan, spiritual ignorance, and divine judgment. Jesus himself said this. He said in, th in, in John three nineteen. he said, and this is the condemnation. Some say this translation, this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, referring to himself. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And Peter, writing of us, says we're a holy nation. We're a chosen people. If you've put your trust in him, you're a, whole, you're a holy person. You're chosen by him. You know what he said? He said he's called us out of darkness into his glorious light. He separated the light from the darkness. And we're called to be light in a very, very dark world that's getting darker all the time. But the light shines brightest in the darkness, doesn't it? And so as we carry the light of Christ, as we carry the light of God into our homes, our workplaces, the NFL, or wherever it is, it shines bright because God has separated the light. He separated the people of light from the people of darkness. And in today's culture, quite frankly, that ought to be a pretty clear distinction in what we see in our culture today. And then he said this, everything was good. Everything that God did was good. So we see in his creation that first he's a God of order, he's a God of power, and he's a God of goodness. But we also see in the creation at the end of Genesis 1 and through Genesis 2 that he's a God of relationship. He's a relational God. I want to read a couple of scriptures to you, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Then God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in Genesis 2, 18, and the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. We see the God of a relationship. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then Genesis 2, 24, 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We see this already that God is a God of relationship. He created us. He created us in his image. He created us to have relationship with him. He created a place for us. If you read Genesis 2, you read of the Garden of Eden. How beautiful it was. God said, hey, you can, you can have everything you here need for food, everything you're going to love this place. He created it for them. He, the, the battles that are raging outside the four walls of this church, folks, are settled right here in the beginning. It's just a matter of whether or not we believe it or not. And I know that you do. And that God created them, He said, male and female. Gender is binary. Nothing else. God gave no room for nothing else. And I told you that God is a God of order, not confusion. And look at all the confusion that's going on out in our culture today over this. It's incredible. And then not only did he do that, he joined a man and he, he, settled, he settled the marriage debate for us. He joined a man and a woman. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, man, that's Old Testament. That's old stuff. Jesus didn't say anything about that. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you brought that up. Because I want you to read Matthew 19 today when the religious leaders came to Jesus and said, started to trip him up on this idea of marriage. Jesus said, you've heard it said in the beginning when he was there that God made them male and female and that a man shall leave his mother and his father and be joined to his wife. Jesus confirmed it. Jesus confirmed it. And church, the further our society or we get away from the design of God, the messier things are going to get. The messier they're going to get. But I don't care how big the mess is. I don't care how big your mess is. You can bring it to God. Let His Spirit begin to hover over it and brood over it. And He can clean it up. He'll clean it up. But you've got to trust Him. You can't go out there and still believe the lie and come in and think He's going to clean up the mess. He'll clean it up. But here's the problem. In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, it says, But God commanded the man. God commanded the man. Now, that was concerning the tree of good, uh, good knowledge of good and evil. He said, you can have anything you want in this garden, just not that. One of the best books I've read in quite some time, and you're welcome to take a picture of this after the service. I don't want to give it away because I'll forget who I gave it to. do that all the time. Is this book here by a man named Vaughn Roberts. And if I were to ask you today, what is the kingdom of God? That's a broad question. I would get a lot of answers. Many of them, all of them would likely be right. But, but Vaughn Roberts wrote a whole book around what he defined as the kingdom of God. You could write this down if you'd like, but he defines it by four things. The kingdom of God is God's people living in God's place under God's rule enjoying God's blessing. God's people living in God's place under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. I think our culture can get on, get on board with one, two, and four, but that under God's rule, not so much. And he, he does a, a timeline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation under those four things. And we see that it's true. We see here in the creation account. God's people were who? Adam and Eve. God's place was a beautiful place of Eden that He had made for them. Under God's rule. One rule. One rule. And they were enjoying God's blessing. But after they broke God's rule, they were no longer enjoying His blessing. I don't say that, church, from a legalistic standpoint. I'm not into legalism. But I am here to tell you that God has given us His Word and His commandments and a way to live, not to make our lives miserable, but to make our lives more fulfilled. 
because the mess sometimes that I've gotten myself into maybe is because we get outside of God's rules. God commanded the man. God deserves the right to make the commandments. It's just whether or not we'll submit ourselves to those. And then after he created us, God said this. It was very good. Man, I'm going to ask you and the team if you would have come on up. What I want you to know this morning is that you're the crown jewel of his creation. I am the crown jewel of his creation. Nothing else did he say, I know the hairs of their head. He don't know, he didn't say he knows the number of feathers on a bird's wings, and he, but he does. But he says, I know the hairs of your head. He knows everything about you. He knows every tear that falls. He knows every struggle in your life. You are and I am the crown jewel of God's creation. And if you don't hear anything else I've said today, I want you to hear this. I had a chance to attend the Creation Museum a few years ago, and I know some of you did. And in that, it ended in a planetarium. I'm assuming it still does. And I was sitting there in that planetarium, and it, I'd gone through the Creation Museum, and I'd seen a lot of these things about God's creation and how vast it is and how awesome it is and how it shows the awesomeness of God. And in that creation, as I sat there, you know, you're knelt back and you're looking up at the, at the ceiling of the planetarium. And it, it shows the vastness of the universe and the solar system, much of which hasn't even been explored yet because we don't have the mental capacity to do it. But it went out to the furthest reaching solar system, universe, and it would open it up. And it would bring us down to the next closest one to us, and it would open it up. And it brought it down to the next closest one to us, and it would open it up, and it would describe it. Until all of a sudden I could see planet Earth. And then on the GPS I could see it and it brought it all the way down to where I was sitting. And then this scripture come across the screen. In the vastness of God, in the creation of God, in holding it all together, He still holds it all together. In all of that, the psalmist said, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, who am I that you're mindful of me? Who am I? Who am I, God? When I look up at the heavens and the stars and I see the moon and the sunset and the sun and the trees and the birds and everything in your creation, who am I that you got time for me? He's got time for you today. He's mindful of you. He's mindful of you this morning. And the Son of Man that you visit Him. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what darkness might be in your light, what life, what sense of void. But I know this, He's mindful of it. He knows all about it. And so as we begin to sing momentarily about the goodness of God, because He's good. We've messed things up. We're going to see that in, in Genesis 3. We've messed it up. But even in the midst of messing it up, there was hope. And the whole Bible is about forgiveness and hope and the goodness of God. And He's revealed every bit of it to us in His creation. And in the midst of all that, He's mindful of you. If you would stand with me this morning.
And I'm going to ask you this morning, is something in your life that you said, Larry, I really need the intervention of God. There's some darkness in my life. There's, some, there's, some, there's just some void there. I'm going to ask you to come and stand here. We'll, we'll close around the altar as a group. But I'm going to ask you to come stand right here or kneel in this altar. Don't let your pride keep you from receiving what God has for you. Now, how's he going to do it? I don't know, but I know this. When you come humbly before him, his Holy Spirit will hover over your life. And he'll begin to change things. There's testimonies all throughout this place where he's done it. He'll do it for you. God, I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that in the vastness of your creation, that you're mindful of me. God, that I could speak to you this morning, as the song said. God, before I even came into this sanctuary, I could stand in the office back there and look out at the rain and the and the grass and the trees and watch the trees blow and know that in the midst of all that, you saw me standing right there. With all my questions and doubts and fears and struggles, you were there with me. I sense your presence with me. And you've left us with that presence. This same Holy Spirit that brooded over those waters now indwells me and fulfills me. You've given it to every one of us who would come and trust you. You said you would send us that spirit. You, when you went away, you would leave us not comfortless, but you would give us a spirit, a counselor, a comforter. And I pray, God, if there's one here, God, who needs that spirit to brood over their heart, to hover over their heart, to hover over their circumstances, God, that they won't let their pride. What are people going to think? Who cares? Who cares what people think? I've walked with you long enough to know the only thing I care about, God, is what do you think? Because I need you. As we begin to sing this song, I'm going to ask if you all will to come down and let's just spend a moment in worship over the goodness of God.